Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, we're going to look together in the book of Revelation, and uh, we're going to look at the seven churches. And uh, John the Apostle, he, he wrote the book of Revelation to the seven churches, and he's, uh, he's dealing with some things that, that were at hand, and he's there off the coast of Asia, and, and Jesus is directing his writing. He's giving him this revelation, and he, and he is encouraging believers to remain faithful in the face of fierce persecution, because they were facing it for sure. And much of Revelation, we understand, deals with their current situation, but it also deals with... Uh, uh, events yet to come as well. And so we, we realize that that's the case too. So today we're going to look at the God's message to these seven churches. And, and these, uh, these words aren't limited to the believers that John is writing to directly. He didn't limit them just to them, but these are also have, have uh, the power, the abilities to surpass time and to speak to us today as individuals, as a church uh, we need to keep our hearts open to God. And I think we have to say, what would Jesus say to me today? And you have to ask that question to yourself. What would Jesus say to me today? Not, we're going to look at the, uh, the church of Ephesus, but, but what would he say to me? So back in, in this time, Emperor Domitian, he, he had a lot of persecution that he was doing. And he threatened the churches of Asia, and uh, uh, Domitian, like other emperors, he was so enamored with himself, he thought, you know what, I'm cool. And, and so he decided to uh, set up, like others had done, uh, a thing to where they had a temple for him and worshipped him as a god. So that's one of the things that happened back then. And so the vision that Jesus gave John... Uh, assured believers the ultimate victory was won by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. So the victory was won then, and, and everything else was pointing towards, hey, you're supposed to worship the emperor, you're supposed to do these things, and yet the believers are kind of stuck in this situation. And to get a better context or a setting of, of uh, the spiritual climate and the social, political, and all the things that were happening, we have to consider this, Domitian became emperor of Rome after his older brother, Titus, you may know his name if you know much about history, but, but Titus, he was the guy that rolled in, the general who ended up uh, wiping out uh, uh, Israel or Jerusalem in 70 AD, destroyed the Jewish temple, and he plundered Jerusalem. And, and, but Jesus himself prophesied that would happen. He said it was going to take place. And, and if you look with me over in Luke, before we jump into Revelation itself, Luke chapter 19, it says, should be on the screen for you, 19 verse 43, it says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you will be the at you and the uh, children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus not only tells them this, his hearers at that time, but he also interprets why the city of Jerusalem uh, would be overtaken. And they, they didn't recognize God's time. Excuse me, God's timing. They didn't recognize God's coming. 
uh, in Christ. And then he, he says over in the book of Luke, chapter 21, in verse 5, he says this. Some of Jesus' disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But, but Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So we see Jesus prophesying that this would take place, and we see the, the final situation there. So John and the other believers in Revelation have been facing suffering because of Israel's failure, plus the political climate of the day and the spiritual climate. I guess in some ways we look at our world today and we see that with believers all over right now. And, and some that, that, are, that are struggling and facing such challenges around the world. And we have that. Believers are being, are being persecuted in, in difficult places in our world today even. And the, late, the later years of Domitian's reign was, it was marked by cruel oppression. This guy was not the guy you wanted to go out on a coffee date with and hang out and say, hey, you know, let's, let's have a good time. No, his good time may not be very nice. And, and people were, were required to address him as Lord and God. And emperor worship was actually that, it was a supreme test of loyalty uh, to Rome. That, that's the way they could see if they were, they were really loyal. And John's message to the church really focuses on the, this group of believers in Asia who refused to compromise their faith by bowing down to the emperor. You're always going to have a chance in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of job you work or what the situation is in your life. You're always going to have the opportunity or the chance uh, to bow your knee to something other than God. Because that's just the way life works. So let's look at what uh, the, uh, the Apostle John writes as, uh, as the Holy Spirit gives him direction. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 in Revelation, he says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient, uh, and patient endurance that are your, ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. What's some great, some great names there? You see them. It seems like... Seems like we have every one of these in the United States somewhere, right? We've, we've named those, used those names uh, for local churches. Uh, I don't know if many people call themselves the Church of Laodicea, but they all had challenges, right? And we'll see that. But, but John here at this time, he receives this revelation and the message of hope while he's on the island of Patmos. And Patmos was in the Aegean Sea. It was uh, just off the coast of Asia at that time. That's now Turkey, right? So it's uh, now Turkey. But John was east of Athens. If you, if you know your European uh, uh, history and, and, uh, and uh, all your map and stuff, you'll see it was across the sea from Athens. And the, the revelation John received was passed on to the churches, possibly in the order they're mentioned here in the book. But this message was not only for them, but it's for us as well today. 
and should be a reminder to us to help us to keep our focus on the right things, to pay attention to what God is saying to us as individuals and as a church body, uh, and to be able to follow God's plan. So, so this morning, consider that Christ is speaking to you through this. Now let's look at what he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know, just hold on today, hold on for some of those little items. We'll look at that. Uh, verse 2, he says, I, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You, you've been, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Uh, consider how far you've fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. Uh, if, you, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But, it, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And remember, this is the Lord Jesus speaking to them. He's speaking to the church. And it goes on in verse 7. It says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we see that he's specifically dealing with the local church of Ephesus, right? But, but, but Jesus' words refer initially to these first century local churches, and he deals with each one of them uh, in these particular places. But the Holy Spirit's continual relevance uh, surpasses that time to speak to all, the gener uh, to all the churches in that time, and he can speak to us today. That's just the way God works. See, all people matter to him. All people matter. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're tall or short or wide or thin or if they're black or white or Hispanic. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter who they are. God loves people and he wants to speak into their lives and he wants to draw them to himself. Why? Because he wants the best for them. He cares for them. So who's the speaker here? That's the first kind of thing. The writer, the writer is John the Apostle, but... But we see in a couple parts in Revelation, it's made clear in Revelation 2.1, it says the speaker, really the, the speaker identifies himself as the one who holds the seven stars. And those are angels. That's what uh, the scripture interprets itself. And in his right hand, and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And that's the seven golden lampstands, those are churches. You know? Then you see in Revelation 1, verse 17 and 18, it says that he is the first and the last, right? The, the speaker, right? He's the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and am alive. I have the keys of death and Hades. Death, the keys of death and hell are in his hands. So the, the, the Lord clarifies uh, what's there in, in Revelation 1, 20. He says, as for the... The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. 
and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus has given a message to this local church. He's trying to speak into their lives and trying to help them. And Jesus, or, or in Ephesus there, it's kind of interesting. If you look a little bit of F, about Ephesus, it was the capital of really the, the a wealthy part of pr the province of Asia. And it was uh, Paul's home for a couple years, right? He was there for a couple years. He hung out there uh, and even writes to the, the church in Ephesus as well. Paul does. But, but Ephesus is uh, bragged about. It's, it's the keeper of this great temple of Artemis uh, and the Romans worship this same god Artemis as Diana. And some say it's a, it's a fertility goddess and, and, uh, and a, the, I guess she's like a bee or something or other. Whatever. But that's weird. And anyhow, they're, they're following this false god, these people there. And, and their temple, actually it was the largest mar marble temple of the Greek world. You know how big that thing was? It was 100,800 square feet in size. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In other words, this was a big deal to these people. So what? We're looking at about 30,000 square feet between this building and our other building and all that kind of stuff. This is a lot bigger than that. And so th these guys, that, that they were worshiping this false god. So, But in Paul's day, people came to Ephesus... Uh, every year to worship this false god. And some of you probably go right back into Acts and remember some of the things that took place there. But, but some scholars mention that there, were, there, there was either prostitution related to the worship of these false, uh, false goddesses. And, and Ephesus gained prestige when the emperor, remember the emperor, the guy who was enamored with himself, He's like, he gave them this, this special temple, uh, this temple, it's a royal temple, and that allowed them to worship him. So this is the setting that church is in. This is the setting. It's not a very nice. And sometimes you may think, look, at, look, Lord, how in the world can you understand the world that I am living in today? Well, he understands. Look at what they were going through. So, some crazy place. Th this place, they, they had this big temple. It, uh, the, the city was 250,000 people at the time. So Topeka, we're kind of small in comparison to them. That's, that's like our county plus, you know. And, uh, and it was also, it was a strong base of operations to be able to evangelize Asia. They had a, this large Christian community there by at least 100 A.D. So there's some believers there. They've come to faith. They've been pulled out of the junk and out of the trash that they had been in before. And you know some of them were involved in that kind of worship before, but they come out of it. So we see this. and You know, Jesus had a message to tell God's people in Ephesus. And he says this part. He says, in my words, he says, you don't tolerate evil people. You can spot the fake apostles. You can figure these things out. You hate the Nickelode or Nickelodeon's ways. <laughs> well, maybe he doesn't like Nickelodeon. I don't know. But anyway, you hate the Nickelodeon ways. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. He goes on. He says, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he's using some pretty strong words there by saying that. And the Lord really puts this in good light. They don't put up with evil people and they detect the fakers. They won't put up with wicked men. They won't put up with wicked people. But expositors, the commentators, some of them would say that these, these were not the pagans. In, these were not uh, the pagans in Ephesus, but false believers or the pretenders that were there uh, who claimed to be apostles, but they're not. So these are the guys, they were just out there faking it. God doesn't like that. And this local church wanted pure teaching. We see that from there. And John even says in 1 John chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Test the spirits to see if, whether they are from God. Uh, because of their, there's many false, uh, apostle or, uh, false prophets out there. He's saying, watch out, be careful, be wise, don't be tripped up by these people. And so they, they despise the activities of the Nicolaitans. We don't know a lot of information about those guys. We, we just don't. Uh, but some scholars uh, say they probably were connected to the false religion of Baalism. And, and some believe they were connected also to the emperor worship, which uh, some mentioned that they, they were connected to Artemis and the prostitution that went along with all that kind of stuff. Get this. This should put it in perspective. If you think that you live in a degraded society, and in the world we live in is not always very nice. We know that. It's true. But this, this, is, what, uh, th this is what one of them said, one of their philosophers. One of, the, uh, uh, one of Ephesus' own citizens, the weeping philosopher Her uh, Heraclitus, said that the inhabitants of the city were fit only to be drowned and that the, that one, the reason why he could never laugh or smile was because he lived amidst such a terrible uncleanness. End of quote. That's what he said. That's pretty stiff. That's, that's pretty tough stuff, isn't it? And that's, that's the kind of setting they were in. You know, uh, last year when uh, we had a windstorm that came through, and it came through at our, at our yard anyhow, and uh, we uh, had some trees in the backyard, and this one big ash tree we had is a pretty old tree. When the wind came through, we heard the crash, uh, hit a little bit of the house, but it hit the, uh, primarily the, the, the boat in the garage, and so we had to cut up the tree and everything, and I looked at it, was trying to figure out, well, what's the deal? You know, a lot of times... A healthy tree won't come down just because there's a big storm unless there's a problem. And I looked at the tree and it looked like it had some disease in it and stuff. So, uh, so I went to the neighbor. He he does he does all the tree stuff. That's it. That's the name of his uh, business. And well, not the tree stuff, but anyhow, uh, that's what he does. He he works on them. And uh, so. He come over and looked at it, and he said, "Yeah, you have ash borers in it, and those little borers they get into the they get into the tree, then and they kill the tree, right? And and so it it was dying, and and so finally I had to take the tree down because of it. So uh, you know, uh, it really that weakness began not because of the sudden storm, right? It started out because those little, uh, those little weevils got in there, those little bugs got in there to the edge of the tree and started eating away. 
And we, we have to make sure we, we don't let those things eat away in our life, not necessarily the ash bore, but, but, but other things in our lives that, that could hinder us from following God and, and being open and being, uh, not having that fear that we once had because we know Jesus has done something for us. So we have to be on our guard for pure teaching so that it doesn't mess us up. But Jesus, he was pleased with the Ephesians for their pure teaching. He was happy for that, right? He, he was glad for that. And they, they had insisted to keep uh, every tiny insect out of their teaching because they knew that false teaching would destroy their faith. And, but, but let's look at verse, uh, the, verse 3 here to hear the words of Jesus to, to the same church because he says some other things to them. That's the same local church there. And he kind of says it this way in a synopsis. You're unwavering. Uh, you've, you've kept going. You haven't worn out. You're sticking in there, right? But in, in verse 3, he said this. He says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. See, this, this local church was, it was uh, determined to stand firm in faith. They weren't going to allow another person to weaken their faith to come in and, and to trick them or to trip them. Uh, and they had peak endurance in a world where they were ordered to worship the emperor, where they had all of this junk going on, all of this stuff going on around them, to where the, 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 the one guy, Heraclitus, uh, said, hey, I think everybody in this city needs to be drowned. It's, this is bad stuff. But, uh, and that's a pretty strong statement. Uh, and so here, the church didn't let themselves stumble by scandal or poor ethics, but we'll see their frailties appear. We'll see them there. And yet they were resolute and they, they persevered. One day, George Mueller, uh, most, of, most people know of who he is, a great Christian of years gone by, he started praying for five of his friends. And uh, after months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others, two of the others came to faith. Uh, it took about 25 years for the fourth man to come to faith in Christ. Uh, and Mueller, he persevered in prayer until his death for the fifth friend. And, and throughout those 52 years, he never gave up praying that he would accept Christ. Do you have those people in your life that you're praying for like that? Keep praying. Don't give up. Uh, he didn't see the last person come to faith yet, but, but after he passed away, uh, after, after his, his funeral, the last one was saved. He came to faith. See, Mer uh, Mueller, he persevered in prayer, and we have to keep on going. We have to be strong. We have to persevere in, in sustaining our, our faith in the Lord and in Ephesians, but, or uh, Lord like the Ephesians, but... But there's a, there's a change in these next few verses here that we have to pay attention to. And the first few verses were all on the up and up. He's like, you guys are strong. You got it going. Things are going well here. Uh, but now Je Jesus is telling him, kind of, you, you're teetering on the fence just a hair bit. You're teetering. And, and so he said, the fourth thing here is, but you have left your first love. And then in that same thing, he says, do what you did at first. Do what you did when you first came to faith. So let's look at it here. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He says, uh, yet I, I, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. 
pay attention, notice, look around and see how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, turn back, turn away from the direction you've been going, turn back and come back to him. He says, if you, and, and then he goes there, he said, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus makes a tough statement there. It's really a pretty tough statement there because we understand the lampstand, uh, that's the church, right? Uh, that, that's the church. Uh, Jesus makes a tough one. And, and for some, some reason, you, uh, he's saying, it, we could say it in maybe, uh, maybe in terms today, you stop dating. You stopped dating, you stopped going out, you stopped engaging the Lord, you fell, in a, you fell in a slump, something happened. You know, it's like if you get married after, you date for a while, you woo the spouse and, uh, and uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend, you woo them, they, you get all close together and then all of a sudden you get married, it's like, that's all gone. <laughs> Uh, you say, well, how did we get here? You know, how did we, we get to this place? And, 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 but, but that's kind of what's happened in their spiritual life. And Jesus seems to be saying you lost the desire to fellowship with God and you didn't even notice. It can be self-deception, can it? We just, we just go through the motions and then all of a sudden we step out and we say, wait a second. Well, do I, do I even know what I'm doing? You, you wake up one day and you say, well, what's happening here? It's kind of that, that proverbial frog being slowly boiled in the pot, you know, that, that got to get that thing out of there. And he's, try, he's trying to shake them free from it. This local church, he's trying to say to the Ephesians, and look, they're, they're, they're an older church now, right? They're, they're an older, it's probably around in the 90s or something like that. I don't know exactly, but 90s AD. So Jesus has, has went to the Father and he's been with them for a while and, and turned back to passionately serving God like when you first received Jesus. He's challenging them. Get back to the way you lived when you first come to Christ. Be, be vibrant and open to the Spirit of God. Uh, and some of you may not have had great zeal when you first came to faith. Maybe you came as, a, as an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old. Or Maybe you didn't have a lot of uh, a vibrancy or, or uh, 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 you weren't zealous. But, but, but those who have been forgiven much love much. We can become vibrant and open to the Spirit of God. Some will say, well, you know what, now, now that I'm at the, at the season in life that I am, I'm not, I don't do the same things that I used to do because I just can't. That's fine. But that doesn't change the attitude of the heart and the mentality that we have. Yeah, we sure, things do happen because we're not able to do the same kinds of things that we did before, you know. It's just like, you know, I don't usually uh, uh, sit Indian style uh, on the floor very often because if I did, that would be kind of hard to get up, right? Uh, just the way it is. But if I was 10, I could do that. Well, some others, you're probably limber enough to do that. But anyway, we have to, we have to be able to be vibrant, keep your maturity, but eager to serve the Lord. Be That openness to serve the Lord, right? That's what we need. And he's challenging the, this, this body of, of the Ephesians, the Ephesian church. And he, he says, 
Jesus came, gave some consequences for them. For those who didn't repent, he said, if you're not going to repent, he said, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Uh, the lampstand recommend, or, uh, it, it, show, it represents the local church. And the Ephesians were taking the, the chance. They, they, no, they may no longer be allowed to be Christ's representatives in their community. Oh, God forbid that we would ever get to that place. May we never get to that place where the Lord says, I want to take that, uh, that, that lampstand away from you. May we always stay open and vibrant to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to speak into our hearts so that we can live out our faith in whatever way He deems necessary so that we can live out our faith in a way that has an impact on this world and these last days that we live in. Because we live in some challenging, uh, uh, challenging times and we need to keep our hearts and our minds open up unto the Lord and allow the Lord to speak in our lives. Amen. We need that. We need Him. See, they'd be losing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. See, if God's people will choose to turn back to serve God with passion, they can represent the greatest king ever. For those who choose not uh, to uh, turn towards him, there's not much left for them. Where are you at in this? I, I don't know. Each and every one of us have to respond to the Lord on our own. But where, where are you at? Don't be snuffed out. For those who are willing to act, he, he says something here in the next part in Revelation. And it's kind of our fifth thing. To those who overcome, they will eat of the tree of life. Look at what he says there in verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The, the victorious believer has protection from the second death. From the second death. What, what is that? That's God's judgment of those who refuse to follow Christ. That's what the scripture teaches us. We find it in, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. We also find the tree, tree of life connected with the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And it represents eternal life we receive by faith in Christ. And those, who, uh, those, uh, the, those at Ephesus who followed Jesus in devotion will experience this victory that Jesus has won for us, has bought for us when he went to the cross. He gave all so that we might have hope again. Jesus did that for us. Back in 1973, back in Uganda in East Africa, right near, it's right near Kenya there, uh, a bishop at the time, a Christian bishop, uh, Festo of Uganda, he, he gave an account of an execution by a firing squad of three men. Not a, not a nice story, but it's a reality. And, and, and on February 10th in Kabali, uh, Uganda, people were ordered to come to the, station, uh, to the stadium at that time to be able to witness the execution. And a silent crowd of about 3,000 people were there to be witnesses. Bishop Festo had permission to speak to the men before they died. And they brought them in in a truck in handcuffs and chains and unloaded them. The, 
the, uh, the, the guys, uh, the soldiers were there ready. Festo said, as we walked into the stadium, I wondered what to say. What in the world would you say? And how, how do you give the gospel to dying men who are probably full of rage? He said, we pro- approached them from behind as they turned to look at us. What a sight. Their faces were lit with gl- a glow and radiance. One of them burst out and said, Bishop, thank you for coming. I wanted to tell you, uh, the day I was arrested in my prison cell, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. He came in and forgave me all my sins. Heaven is now open and there is nothing between me and my God. And then he goes on to say, please tell my wife and children that I'm going to be with Jesus and ask them to accept him into their lives as I did. The two other men that were with him on the, on the sad side, uh, they, they told similar stories. They raised their hands, which rattled their handcuffs, their feet chained and hands. I, I, he said, I felt that what I needed to do was to talk to the soldiers, not to the condemned. They made their lives ready. They, they turned to the Lord. They repented. And so he said, I translated what the men had said for the soldiers. And they stood with their guns cocked and bewildered on their faces. They were so astonished that they forgot some of their procedures that they were supposed to go through. And the three faced the firing squad together. The shots were fired and the three went to Jesus. And he said, we stood in front of them, our hearts throbbing with joy, but mingled with tears. It was a day never to be forgotten. He said, though dead, the men spoke loudly to to all of Kagezi district so that there was an upsurge of the life in Christ which challenges death and defeats it. He said the next, uh, the, the, the uh, bishop pastor, he said the next Sunday I was preaching at a huge crowd in the same town uh, of us, one of the men. And again, the feel, uh, it was a heavy feeling over the congregation. But he says, when I gave them the testimony of their man who was from that area and how he died, there erupted a great song of praise to Jesus and many turned to the Lord that day. See, just as Jesus was challenging the Ephesian church and to the Ugandan church to follow him in devotion, so is the Lord calling out to each of us today. He calls out to us in our place. He calls out to us in our pain, in our addictions, in our hurt, in our confusion, in our uh, just not knowing what to do at this point. Friends, you know, your doctrine may be pure, but do you have your first love? Do you still love the Lord who gave his life for you? Everything he gave. You may know the ins and outs of the Bible, but it is Christ working in your heart. You know, we can sit up here and we can talk theology all day long. And we can quote scriptures back and forth to one another all day long. But what does that mean if we're not putting Jesus Lord of our life? What value is that if we don't allow the Lord to rule our lives? Those three men in Uganda had their first love. Let us become mature 
and strong in our faith. Let's keep our first love, who is Jesus Christ. The Lord is calling out to each one of us today. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we need you more than anything in this world. Lord, the facts are in our country, we have so much at our disposal. Some have more than they need and some don't have quite enough, but we still have more than what it's, uh, that we would even expect. But Father God, the reality is, is without you, we don't have anything. Jesus, you gave your love all on the cross for us so that we can have life. And Lord, we need you more than ever. We need you more than ever. And Father God, we yield our hearts, Lord, as a church. Lord, we know we're not the church of Ephesus, but we're to be first and we need you. We need you, Father. Father God, we need you as individuals. It doesn't matter who we are or where we come from or how broken we may feel. We need you, Lord. And this morning we offer ourselves to you with everything we have, everything we are, Jesus. We offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.